Thank you for joining me, Ellie Harrison, my good friend, artist and activist. It's January and lots of people are going to be looking ahead to thinking what projects they can do this year, what resolutions they can fulfill. You have a lot of people talking about things like the January one year no beer, but then there are also artists who do durational performance work. And when I've been thinking about this, I thought who better to talk to about year long projects, year long challenges than Ellie Harrison. So welcome, Ellie. Do you want to introduce yourself to people? Yeah, I don't know who the listeners are, Neil, but um, I uh, thank you for inviting me to have this chat. Uh, so I I'm an artist. I live in Glasgow most of the time, although I'm in my dad's attic at the moment. Um, and yes, I guess I have got a bit of a track history of doing year long projects. I'm actually in the middle of a year long project at the moment, which is top secret. Um, but You're not going to talk about this one at all. This is. Well, I could, talk, I could talk about it a little bit, but um, yeah, I've got a track history going back to 2001 which is when I started my first year-long project, and that was Eat 22, where I set myself the challenge to see if I could photograph everything that I ate for a year. And between my birthdays, so it started in March and ended in March, and I succeeded. And I, I don't know if enjoy is the right word, but I guess I found it productive. So I did more. Um, more what year. was what was the original inspiration for E22? So E22, you just took a photo of everything you ate with a picture of yourself eating it for an entire year. But that that one didn't start on January the first. That started on your birthday, right? Yeah. And what was the original inspiration to do that? Well, I was actually still a student when I started that, so I was just going into my final year of my fine art degree and. I think it was the year before that I'd done a small experiment when we went on a trip to New York where I set myself the challenge to try and photograph everything that I ate while I was in New York but not just photograph everything that I ate but also eat as much as I could and photograph everything that I ate so it was a kind of it was a double challenge really to sort of go to New York and really overindulge document that process and it was unfortunately only a four-day trip so I didn't have (laughs) enough time to do a lot of irreparable damage Um, but when I got back I had a lot of fun kind of cataloguing the photos and actually working out like the calorific content of everything that I'd eaten. Because you did weigh yourself before and after on that trip. Yeah, I did. And and ultimately, I made an animation of the photos. So there wasn't that many photos, probably about 30 or 40. Um, but I was just learning web design at that time, learning how to use Macromedia Flash back in the day, and made an animation in that, which was a very fast paced animation where I aligned all of the photographs and so my face was in the same place at the same time. So you got this like this effect of lots and lots of food just like being shoved into my mouth which I really enjoyed and that project was called Greed 
so there's lots of things in that that I really enjoyed um but I guess I like the challenge aspect of it um and the structure as well almost that as an artist if you just devise a sort of framework or a set of rules then that is the art and then and then you just carry it out and the carrying out is not so much a creative process it's one of kind of endurance I think and I enjoy both of those things so I, I just I think it was probably a month or two as I was coming up to my 22nd birthday that I decided to try and do it for a year and that it wasn't any specific artist because when I think of year-long projects or year-long art projects I think of Do Ching Che the Taiwanese artist who did four you know incredible uh one-year projects in New York in the 70s but I really feel he wasn't spoken about at that period so were you thinking back to like more conceptual artists of the 60s yeah I well it's interesting you mentioned Do Ching Tse um who I am a big fan of because I I he came to visit my art school came to visit Nottingham Ah. Trent University actually sorry let me just correct that um a guy called Mike Stubbs who I think is still the director of fact in Liverpool or he certainly used to be the director of fact art centre in Liverpool um he's an artist and a kind of independent curator then and he did a lot to bring doting say to the UK so around that time he took his film um one year performance obviously he did quite a few one year performances but it was specifically the one with the time clock the film that lasts exactly well almost exactly 365 seconds because it documents an entire year at 24 frames a second it's an amazing film um he was he brought that to Nottingham Trent I think he took it to other art schools he was basically doing a a tour and I can't remember the exact lineage of of these events but that was definitely in my final year of art school as well okay so he was you were an early adopter an early you know someone who was aware of him early on so that's interesting yeah that that happened so you did E22 and that did very well it got like publicity lots of people were interested in it uh the welcome collection ended up buying you bought a poster or something that you did at the end of it the animation they bought the whole animation caboodle and the inventory and everything because there's an inventory of all the data and everything that I ate as well because I'm curious, like, how does someone feel at the end of a year-long project? So it's it's got to be difficult to carry on something day after day for an entire year. But at the end of it, were you, like, relieved? Or, like, what was happening? I was very relieved. I, I, guess, I guess the closer you get to the end, the more nervous you get that something's going to go wrong and you're going to lose the photos. Like, I mean, I was always obsessively backing up what I'd collected and the closer you get to the end the the more and more obsessive that gets because you think I can't put a foot wrong now because I'm nearly there I'm nearly over the line um so I definitely did that but what I did during Eat 22 was I was kind of on a weekly basis publishing the photos online (laughs) um so it was a very kind of sort of proto 
like Instagram type project really I mean it's very low fi <laughs> my little website that I built but that was what enabled people to sort of know that I was doing it and follow it um I don't know how many people did tune in social media didn't exist then really um but people got quite a lot of conventional media coverage and then and then people would go on the website and look at the photos so I was I was kind of it was a lot of work going along doing the project sort of to publish everything and also to to make this animation which I I set aside a big chunk of time each week to kind of update it and and and, and make the animation and also to make this print like you said there's a there's a print of the 1640 photos where they all kind of neatly fit into um one a0 sheet so I was kind of like painstakingly aligning all of those as well and so it meant that when I got to the final day which was also of course my birthday again um there was a sort of natural celebratory mood in the air um and also I was doing an event the day after my birthday to preview the film so it was very kind of quick. It was like the project was done and then it was being exhibited the next day or or, or, or kind of, um, yeah, shown at this event. So, yeah, I I was, I felt very relieved, very happy um, and getting ready to, to preview it the next day. I guess um, it's good that you were a student, you had all that kind of time, or you had been a student. This was like just at the end of, your course right yeah it was the year after I graduated so it was good for me because I kind of graduated and I think a lot of students go into a bit of a dip at that point they don't really know what to do because they lose all sense of structure whereas this structure that I devised just carried on and it carried me through like three quarters of my first year after graduating so that was brilliant really um and yeah the other thing that I wanted to say about the project is and the impact of finishing it was that because I I wasn't so interested in this before I started but I definitely got more interested afterward afterwards is the way that these rules or these frameworks that you create actually affect your behavior and how your behavior changes um and I hadn't intended this to be like the the one of the um, consequences of doing the project, but I ended up eating less frequently. Mm. Um, actually, ending up eating bigger portions, but less frequently. But ultimately, lost weight as a result of doing it because of you start to associate. Um, each photograph with a huge amount of work to process all the data upload it on the website and everything so that kind of connection with with extra time that you're going to have to spend sifting through everything just think oh I'm not going to bother having one of those crisps it's just not (laughs) worth it like (laughs) there is definitely an observer effect the the observer cannot help but change the uh, experiment you know change the situation they're in uh, but there's also a disciplinary aspect, you know, yeah. uh, kind of panopticon of the self where you're kind of disciplining yourself by constantly being on display. 
Yeah, and definitely. And then the, the, the flip side of that is what happens when you're no longer on display. And do you just like go crazy? Do you just let it all go? And um, I did <laughs> in that case. And I just had this kind of joke that after I'd finished the project, um, I went on a seafood diet. You know that joke? You <laughs> see food and you eat it. <laughs> That's a, a classic, absolute classic. <laughs> but, the freedom. Uh, so yeah, so a kind of yo-yo effect of you know observation and then going back to doing whatever you want. But then your next one-year project, I think, is the Gold Card Adventures, which I think is where you go a bit more into data collecting rather than any experiment so with this one you got a one-year travel card where you could travel anywhere on the underground and you documented how much travel you did right yeah um and the gold card adventures was named after the name of the year-long travel card which is called a gold card i don't know if it exists anymore because it was a it was a piece of paper so that began in september 2002 which is when I also I was living back in London. I started a postgraduate course in at Goldsmiths College. So I was living in Ealing and commuting to Goldsmiths. So it is a long way and it's a long commute. And it's about three hours every day travelling. So I was aware it was a big distance that I was racking up. And then I thought that I, I should document this in some way. So I didn't document it um visually I just recorded the distances and then added the distances together just to see how much that would amount to over the course of a year and it amounted to more than traveling to Shanghai um, which was good it was a long way away <laughs> I can't remember exactly it's about, I think it's about 9,000 kilometers in a year but that one didn't change your behaviour. You didn't find yourself doing extra trips to get your money's worth out of your gold card. Or I think I did a bit at the at the end of the year, actually. To make <laughs> more. Course, yeah, the course was only nine months, but the the card was a year. So hmm. I definitely was aware that I should try and um, try and you make the most of it <laughs> over the summer after the course had finished um, but yeah I think that it's it's interesting looking back on that project actually because because of my love of public transport that has developed since and that is its first little outing really because not only was I kind of documenting these distances on on London Underground and on all of the buses as well because I could use use the paths on the buses and the trains um but 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 yeah <laughs> it's where it all began uh and that one that one was an academic year so you know I sometimes think this is the worst time of the year to talk about year-long projects because people who do it from January the 1st they're you know they're either gonna be you know not doing it anymore or they haven't planned it out but actually it turns out you can basically start your one-year project to anything, your birthday, your academic year, I don't know, some significant event just for you. Does it matter yeah. when you start it? Yeah, 
absolutely you can start it whenever um and do ching did of course as well mm. like his projects were just sort of random dates throughout the year when he started them i'm sure there was a good reason why they started on those dates um but yeah first of january is probably just about the worst time to start <laughs> a project actually because i mean this year i I do often have New Year's resolutions. I can't say I've got one this year um, particularly, but this year I was like trying to get back into doing some work um, after Christmas and I just felt so like slow and I just took ages to get my brain into gear again. And um, yeah, the thought of starting a project on the 1st of January I wouldn't have felt very prepared for it this year although I have done it I have done it in the past but often like it takes a while to sort of you sort of have to have to sort of bumble through the first few weeks I think yeah um but the one the projects of yours the one year projects I like the most are the daily data quantification cards which I think you did do January to December right and on this, I, I might show a photo of this. There's like a card and it logs how many steps you walked each day, how many calories, how many times you farted, how many times you swore, <laughs> how many times you you know you talk to someone or talk to people. Like it's a kind of amazing little card and it, it kind of it was an early example of uh, self-quantification. Um, but presumably done at Goldsmith when this kind of overlapped with a gold card. Yeah. Uh, doesn't Was that like a, a big end of year project? Like what, what was your thinking behind this daily quantification? Yeah, so I guess I'd start the gold card adventures in the September 2002, and then it must have been as I was gearing up to the start of the year, January, that I thought I need to collect more data. <laughs> And this would have been as a result of all of the tutorials that I'd had during my first semester there, um, thinking more about data and quantification and just thinking I needed to get more. Um, I can't really remember that clearly what I was thinking at that time. But yeah, I did decide that this is going to be a year long project. It's going to start on the 1st of January and I would do one of these little log sheets every day. They're A5 size. Um, I have to show you one in real life sometime mm. now because I've got them all in my flat. Um, and the I, I guess I had a while to prepare for that. I must have been preparing for it in December because I remember buying some data collection devices particularly pedometers um at that time like I had a bit of a fetish for the innovations catalog I don't know if you remember it (laughs) love the innovations catalog our generation I'm sure like really uh, remember I just used to read it as a child and like peer through the pages in bed um looking at all of the gadgets that you could get in there but um Yes, I bought I bought a pedometer from Innovations. Um, I, I seem to remember buying quite a lot of crap from Innovations. But I, yeah, so there was a few kind of devices and stuff that I needed to collect the data um, as I went through the year. So that was all prepared in advance. Um, and 
I did that for a year and I did a similar project in 2005. I kind of evolved it a little bit um, and hammed it up a bit when I, I created a character who's a data collecting character called the Daily Data Logger. It wasn't a year long project, actually. It was um, just to coincide with this exhibition called Day to Day Data. Um, but the character um, really hammed up all of these data collecting devices and I had a kind of utility belt that I was wearing supposedly every day that had the devices on it that I needed to record the data. Um, I mean even though a pedometer is a passive device it just collects it without you really thinking. Um, it does sound like you're doing quite a lot of work at this point. Uh, but I am interested in the fact that like nowadays, like all that stuff is just on your phone, you know, wherever you go, it's counting your steps yeah. and, you know, people are tracking their sleep and, you know, all this exercise stuff. And I don't know, um, like what it means to do it, the difference between doing it actively and doing it passively. Like, yeah. does that make a big difference, you think? Well, I think it. Uh, one thing I want to say about Gold Card Adventures was that, um my paper gold card this was literally about a year or possibly two years before oyster cards came in um and when oyster cards came in of course they collected all that data for you because suddenly that was tracking where you went you'd touch in you'd touch out on your journey and that was the journey documented whereas when i was doing it with my gold card it was totally manual um, I had to record everything, I had to write everything down and I had to measure the journeys and that I enjoyed that part of the process because it felt like I was building something, you know, I was creating it. If I ha wasn't putting in that time, it wouldn't exist, like nobody would know <laughs> or care. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think there was something very deliberate about it and again with those log sheets because they're very simple little log sheets and at, 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 on the back of the sheet is space for notes so I would carry it around with me every day and I do tallies for things like the gaseous emissions that you mentioned Neil like I would have a tally on the back of the the um, log sheet in pencil and then at the end of the day or the next morning I would then in pen put the totals on the front of the front yeah. of the card all all you know all sort of handwritten so it was very manual um and I guess that's what I was well that's what I became interested in was that layer of administration I don't think I was really interested in it in a conscious way then but I definitely became interested in it later on which is when I wrote my published my little book confessions of a recovering data collection collector and in that book you can see there was like two exhibitions or something like one of sneezes and you know swearing you know like that was captured but did that all come out of these data sheets like did that become a little mine of data for you to to kind of produce work documenting that year yeah it did I uh, so well I made these monthly sculptures so I had these monthly sculptures determined by the daily quantification records which were so at the end of each month I would kind of get a series of monthly averages that would come out of these data log sheets 
uh, or daily quantification records and um, that those would by putting them through the system that I've devised they would output a, a monthly sculpture so I was um, I created six sculptures as part of that project for um, my show at the end of my course at Goldsmiths and I actually while I was doing that because I'd started making the sculptures while I was still collecting the data I realized that I could actually change my behavior during each month to affect the outcome mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of gaming the system which I became really interested in that I could that I could yeah deliberately because I'd created the system to kind of almost take the control away from me as the artist as to what the artwork would look like but then I realized in a really long-winded way I could control what the artwork would look like by changing the way that I behaved so that was quite good fun um and uh but ultimately you rejected data collection as a, a way of being in the world like it's a your little pamphlet book thing is called confessions of a recovering data collector and basically you've given up at this point on data collecting right why why did you give up um I think just because of that extra layer of administration and and just just the 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 the, the kind of narcissism of it <laughs> the obsessive narcissism of it and and how that was taking up so much of my time that it wasn't it didn't feel very healthy and it meant that it was at the expense of other stuff that I could be spending my time on so that's why I decided to to quit data collecting. To what extent Um, were these projects art and to what extent were they like (laughs) self-therapy because I mean it's interesting to see the the way that these categories of merged in different art especially over the last few years yeah um well I think they were a bit of both but I don't necessarily think they had a positive impact on my mental health I I don't think any of them have actually uh you wouldn't recommend them to anyone as like a, a start of the year start um uh I I don't start noting down every time you sneeze and what you're thinking about you know I think a new year's resolution is that is is a fairly healthy thing to do you know especially if it's something like quitting drinking which is one thing that I did do for my new year's resolution in 2010 um or like saying an exercise more veganuary of course I support that but I think these things can be be healthy but um I think it's it's just a point where the project sort of takes over. I think there's a point where you decide that you're going to do the project. You're the one with the agency. And then as you get into the year, it's the project that is like, it's your evil taskmaster that is forcing you to do it. Like, and you have to keep going. And and I think that it's, it's, that's quite oppressive as well. Um are there yeah. any that you started and then didn't finish anything that because I think you're right I think that point where you're like I cannot do this anymore you know this is just such a stress but I want to have completed the project yeah 
And for me, that but I want to have completed it always overrides any <laughs> doubt that I have. Like um, being a total completist, yes, I have to do it. And so I have, I think I have always uh, succeeded in, in anything that I set out to do. Um, but you haven't mentioned my most notorious year-long project now. We're, we're going to get onto that shortly. We're going <laughs> to okay. get onto that because because I even completed that. It is nice actually to talk about these early projects and see you struggling to remember what you were thinking about at the time. You know, because it is difficult to remember 18 years ago. Absolutely, um, but I think it adds a bit of context. To, well let's let's talk about it it adds a bit of context to the project you did in 2016 January the 1st started um the Glasgow effect which um well you you can give us a quick introduction as to what that was I know you can actually Ellie has written a 400 page book on the <laughs> Glasgow effect so if you ask her a question about it she has a tendency to kind of uh, talk for a long time about it because she's thought so much and written so much about it but um go on I'll give you <laughs> what's what's the one paragraph uh, overview um well as simply as possible it was again you could call it a challenge it was a year-long project where I refused for one calendar year from the 1st of January 2016 to the end of 2016 I refused to leave Glasgow city limits or use any vehicles except for my bike so it was a very simple premise um, and it was a lot of complex reasons going into why I decided to do that which explained at length in the book but in in in, in its simplest terms it was to slash my carbon footprint for transport to zero and to free up lots of time that I would have in Glasgow that I could invest in local projects and campaigns. Um, but it, it did, it proved very controversial. And just thinking back, because exactly five years ago, um, I, was, I was thinking about this and uh, I, I mentioned earlier about that sort of what a nightmare it is to start a project on the 1st of January, especially, you know, if you've been out on New Year's Eve, as I did in that year, um, 2015, got quite drunk, didn't get home till three or four o'clock in the morning, um, and then found myself waking up the next morning going, shit, I meant to be starting this project, but I didn't actually really want to do. I had a lot of anxiety about it. And um, and just sort of bumbling into it because it was the 1st of January um, and I'd said that I was going to do it. So I write actually quite a lot about that morning when I woke up and how I felt and 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 all of that anxiety about starting it. Um, and and it it took me um, a day. Well, I had to on the first day had to set up my GPS tracking device. That was my main task for the first day because I didn't have it on my phone. I had a separate little device which kind of clipped onto my belt, a bit like my, my pedometer, called a Trackimo. Um, and it had a SIM card in it which would record my recorded coordinates every 30 seconds if it sensed that I was moving. So I got that set up on, on day one. 
and it had a year-long subscription which was quite convenient so it was automatically going to expire exactly a year later um and uh, it wasn't i mean we don't want to get too much about uh, about gps tracking devices but just to go back to that early first day like i'm not sure what time it was if it was on the first day or the second day but you'd posted an event on facebook uh 2nd of january i posted the event on facebook and i'm not sure what the process was but it was kind of it came out this event on facebook um and suddenly everyone in glasgow who you know were probably all sitting around because it was bank holiday you know you didn't have to go to work didn't have anything better to do you go on facebook and you find out that this english artist is being given £15,000 from the government, basically, uh, to stay in Glasgow. And, yeah, I mean, uh, he basically got a barrage of negative and some positive comments, right? But, like, a lot of comments. Yeah. And it became a kind of big event mentioned on all the newspapers and TV. But um, but you carried on. You did it. You, you, you did the project. Yeah, and I think that's what's so interesting about that social media shitstorm is, is it, well, first of all, I could no longer bumble. I was like, <gasps> right, I have to get my shit in order. <laughs> the whole world is watching me. Um, but, um, yeah, the, there was a really interesting contrast in the, a lot of the comments on Facebook and a lot of them are uh, reproduced in the book, but the short-termist demands of the people commenting on Facebook, what are you going to spend the money on? What are you going to do? What's going to be the outcome of this? Blah, blah, blah. Like just relentless, just like demanding answers. Um, And actually the nature of the project itself, which was durational, was going to last a year. You know, they had to have at least a year long patience. But ultimately that was just the beginning. Doing it was just the beginning. And it was all of the work that I did that year, all of the ideas that I generated, all the research that I did that year, um, that that then went on and fed into the book, which didn't come out until 2019. So that's already three and a half years after all those people on social media were saying, what are you doing? Like, what are you going to do with all that money? Like, what are you going to spend it on? What does this all mean? This is a load of bullshit. Like, and they actually had to wait three and a half years to get any answers to that, which I find quite funny. Um, I mean, they, then, you did have some events and stuff. So there was there was a few opportunities to kind of see how it's all going. But I think it's, you know, more interesting to look at the public engagement with the arts and, you know, things that are happening in the art world and that are being funded in the art world and pe- the public's conception of what art is and how the two things are in totally different worlds at this point. And I think that's why, you know, Do Ching Che uh, and, you know, other durational artists who have kind of consciously set out to suffer in some way for their art yeah. in this kind of high concept, low carbon art pieces. Yeah. Um, like, like, like. I mean, do you think that's a problem that the public have no engagement with contemporary art on that level? Or? 
Well, I think that the, the art on that level, um, you know, there's there's two things going on in it. Um, there, there's experience for the artist, and and that's why when I was trying to articulate what I was doing, I was trying to describe it as, um, well, it was a kind of psychological experiment, part psychological experiment, part protest, part strike. So it was something that I was doing to myself, but it was also kind of a symbolic act. Um, but it was, it was so, it was, it was really something that I wanted to experience in a way, no matter how kind of stressful <laughs> it was. Um, and so it was for me as much as it was for for a secondary audience and it wasn't necessarily for that secondary audience in that moment then it I guess and the fact that the book is I've written the book as a result of it I guess I was always sort of thinking it was for me then in that year to sort of that's why I called it an action research project that I was kind of learning through like living um and and that, that it was for a sort of secondary audience at a later date that I had to do it first <laughs> and then other people could maybe learn about it or reflect on it later on um so I think that yeah and you know I've had positive responses to the book where maybe people have appreciated it more now that they have than, than they did at the time um but but yeah, it, it took a lot of patience, and definitely reading the book takes a lot of patience because, as you said, now it's four hundred pages. So, but I, I think I'm interested in that, and that's why I've been drawn to these year-long projects again and again. Is that they take patience, stamina, endurance, like all of those qualities, which you know some could argue are are waning in our society mm. as a result of social media and just you know amazon prime and things like that you can order something and have it show up on your doorstep sometimes even the same day like people are expecting such quick turnarounds like you can stream any film you want in the world in an instant like you don't I, have to I wait was, for it to come to your local cinema i was flicking through the glasgow effect book today just to kind of you know refresh my memory and every bit I read was very good so I would recommend it to everyone listening to this I think it's, it's a, a very very uh, very engaging and uh, well-written book so um, finally is there any advice or anything you would say to someone who is considering undertaking a year-long challenge or project well, I know I said earlier, don't do it because it's not going to be good for your mental health. But I think actually do do it because <laughs> it can help you to train your um, stamina and endurance. Um, I think actually probably the most, the, the year-long projects that I've done that I've enjoyed the most are the ones that have been slightly less formal in a way. So the Ellie and Oliver show um radio show that I did with my then flatmate Oliver Braid where we just agreed kind of towards the end of 2011 that during 2012 we were going to do a weekly radio show um 
and it, it, it never felt stressful to keep that going like we really enjoyed it it was a really kind of fun thing that punctuated our week so that was great fun um and the other year-long project which I probably the one that I've enjoyed the most the one that I I'm most astounded that I managed to do is write the bloody book <laughs> and I didn't know it was going to be a year but it almost was exactly a year because um I started thinking about it in May 2018 and then I wrote a kind of one-page synopsis and managed to get the publisher to agree to publish it and then I, I put pen to paper I, I kind of did the plan over summer 2018 and then I put pen to paper or not quite but typed on the 1st of September um so and then it was it was finished by the end of July the next year so all in all it was pretty much a year and and yes that year because I hadn't set out to do it as a year-long project but it ended up being a year-long project I think that's been the most satisfying one that I've done Mm. and I guess there's one other question which is like the difference between a year-long project that becomes a lifelong project like you know like I know you've got some lifelong projects that you've done like trying to swim the equivalent of the Atlantic in, in a swimming pool not not in the Atlantic but um, yeah, I was wondering, like, um, is there a, any sense that a year a, a year long project graduates into a lifelong project? Is something you're trying out, uh, or is it got to be kind of high concept and have a beginning and an end? Um, I think having an end point in sight is is good because it helps to keep you motivated. My lifelong projects that I'm working on. So one is the one where I'm trying to swim across the Atlantic over the course of my my life but the the, the way, main way that that exists is in this little app you could call it an app but it was built in 2004 so it's very lo-fi but it's on my website and it it recalculates my estimated finishing age based on my current like rate of progress and the amount that I've swum so far what's the current I, age I think I'm about halfway there uh, but the current finishing age is sort of 75 or something. And it's really it's really gone up during the pandemic because I haven't been able to swim so much, which has been quite frustrating. Because in the book it says 74, so it's gone yeah, up, so up at least it's a definitely, year. It's gone up, but the whole project is built around this motivational tool. It's the motivational tool that keeps the project going. So that kind of idea of like endurance is baked into it. But um, well, thank you very much, Ellie, for taking the time out to help me on my quest to learn and think about year-long projects. Because this uh, blog, this Substack, this uh, this uh, thing I'm doing at the moment, this is my year-long project, and I'm kind of in that nervous early stages when you're very excited about doing it, but equally thinking, is this sustainable? Is this going to work out? You know, when push comes to shove and I'm ill and tired and whatever, you know, will I be motivated to do it? And so, yeah, I'm I'm encouraged to hear that you have never abandoned any of yours. So I'm going to I'm going to make this commitment right now. Brilliant. Good luck, Neil.